Welcome to Boots Off Log On, a podcast where we talk all things farm business. A show about the business of farming, bringing you insights and wisdom from the leaders in farm business, helping you minimise risk and maximise return on all your hard work. I'm David and I'll be your host for the show. So welcome to uh, Boots Off Log On, Rob. Now, I just finished rereading your old book, The you know Accounting Practices Don't Add Up. And this is probably, I don't know, is it one of your first books you wrote, Rob, back in about 2001 or so? 2011. So I started my career actually in Dubbo, um, working with accountants in 1994. So when I was 24 years old. Uh, and I've stuck with them ever since for 28 and a half years, um, worked at 18 countries, uh, trained about 200,000 accountants, coached about 650 accounting firms directly, uh, various products, various companies in that time frame. But yeah, my whole life, essentially, my, my professional career has been accounting firms. Yeah, definitely. Now, this is a really good point before we get going, Rob. So you um, are probably one of the leading uh, coaches for accounting firms. And like you said, you've coached thousands and thousands, but you don't come from an accounting background, do you? No, no. So um, I left school when I was 16, so not a piece of uh, formal paper to my name. Uh, And I I literally fell into the market. So I was running a series of customer service seminars in Dubbo of all places. And uh, this big seminar of the day at the Amaru Hotel in Dubbo, if there's any Dubbo people listening, uh, eight people in the room, really rocking it. And uh, there's an an accountant in the room called Ellis Ryan. And Ellis has since passed away, but he was from Canamble. And Canamble is about two hours north of Dubbo. It's a two accountant town. Uh, He says, I want you to come to this, my town and do this seminar for my clients, a little value-added seminar on customer service. I said, sure. How many clients you got? He's got 126 businesses in and around Canamble. And I said, okay, here's how it's going to work with a little marketing campaign. Sure enough, 56 people turn up to the Canamble RSL Club in May 1994. Wow, and I impressive. make a profit of two and a half grand, right? I thought, wow, I can't fill a room, but these accountants can. I'm going to accountants through accountants. So, <laughs> so that's how the journey started. And 28 years later, 18 countries, um, you know, a couple of thousand speeches over the years, um, still with accountants. Yes, that's how it started. Yeah, definitely. Now, your message, you know, because you you have that perspective of not being an accountant and so almost being an observer rather than, you know, mm-hmm. better get two in the weeds. And um, one of the things I like is both in your writing and in your speaking, I saw you speak in um, probably I don't know, 10 years ago, you get straight to the point. Um, mm-hmm. about that. And so what do you um, believe that the value, you've, you've obviously um, been quite successful in your career into accountants. Does this, the fact that you haven't been an accountant, give you an advantage, do you believe, in the advice that you give? I think I think there's a couple of things there. One, because I don't have a formal education, but I've got, you know, I've read over 500 business books and countless seminars and events uh, and Street Smart's application of that. So there's that piece where I look at the accounting firm from a business point of view, but also not being an academic, um, I look at it as, okay, let's go for hard and fast research here. You know, what does this one firm do that really rocks out of a hundred things they could do, they do one, right? So what does this other firm do that really rocks? What's this other one do that really rocks? Let's put them together and there's some content. If you did this, this and that, this is the sort of results you would get because there's not one 
perfect firm, although my book about five years ago is called The Perfect Firm. It doesn't exist, right? There's not one perfect firm out there, but the collection uh, and immersing myself in that one industry or profession uh, enables me to, to get a helicopter view of, okay, what works, what doesn't work, this, just go and do this and it'll work. Yes, yeah, so Rob, in that time since you first started those seminars way back, um, your accidental successful seminar. Yep. You know, what, so that's 20 plus years. So what you must have seen a lot of changes in the industry in that time. So what are the biggest changes you've seen in the industry, especially the ones that have gone, knocked it out of the park? You know, Look, the biggest one has to be the technology change. Um, you know, there's still humans involved. There's still some bad habits and bad um, mindsets within the, the, the profession, but the technology you know, has crept up on the profession, enabling loads of efficiency, uh, the opportunity to, you know, remote working properly, and COVID was a big push to that, of course. Uh, the, the opportunity to have, you know, team members overseas, offshore, outsourcing operations, you know, the, the tech has changed the, the, the landscape for delivery of accounting services but the one that the thing that they haven't capitalized on is what the tech can do for them to help their clients. Um, and, and if I look at one consistent message I've had over the time I've been on, on working on the profession is that, you know, you're there to serve your clients proactively, not reactively, you know, and the vast majority of accounting firms reactively serve their clients. And, and COVID was the biggest reactive service you've ever seen. I've ever seen, you know, pandemic hits, right. And it wasn't being proactive because of the pandemic, it was reacting what the pandemic did to them and their clients. You know, oh, we should start communicating more and run, you know, info sessions and more newsletters and phone calls and touch bases. Yeah, why did it take a pandemic to force you to do what you should have been doing for 20 years? <laughs> so so yeah, there's a, t tech has been the biggest change without a doubt. Yeah, it's the tech a double-edged sword though, Rob. So, what you know, is that obviously there's this rush to, you know, automate everything, which um, nobody wants to do the grunt work. Um, but does it, um, is there a downside to relying, or, you know, does it hide a lot of sins for tech sometimes? Oh, you bet. Um, so when I started, here's, here's a good one. Um, when I started working with accountants, the, 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 the accountants themselves, the people doing the work, had to think about the client situation, right? Because it wasn't automated, had to be keyed in, it had to be in some cases handwritten, how a form needed to be filed or whatever, and it was very clunky. And consequently, they used to think about the clients a lot. Now the technology is taking a lot of the thinking about the client situation away because it's automated to think. So uh, I think we use the tech for that, but we need to bring the thinking back into accounting, not just the processing. Is it is it um, is there a risk of just using the tech to um, have a uh, lowest cost base race to the bottom as opposed to a service race up to the top. You bet. Plenty of firms have done that. They've um, used the tech, got all their clients on a cloud accounting system, um, all the, you know, connections on the, um, you know, receipt bank or what it's called next these days and expensify and those things are connected. So the, the bookkeeping and the compliance efficiency is definitely there. Then they'll say, well, let's get our labor force in the Philippines and we can get that for a quarter of the cost. Let's bring down the cost dramatically. And hey, presto, we've got a low-cost accounting firm. And that is a business model that does survive. But it's not a very good one, I don't think. So you're saying survive. You didn't say thrive. So what's stopping them thrive, Rob? Well, I think it's, um, I think it's, a, it, it's a belief that everyone agrees on, 
every partner I've ever met. Not not one partner was what I'm about to say disagrees with a statement, but the implementation of the statement is completely different. So I'll ask you, you know, a hundred accountants in a seminar or a webinar, whatever it is, uh, who who believes in the following statement? And the following statement is that you know it is uh, your the success of your firm is all about you helping a, your clients achieve their financial goals. And, 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 and to me, the duty of care is that all clients should be buying all services that they need from the accounting firm that helps them achieve their financial goals. And, and I said, do you believe in that? Do you believe you should be providing services to your clients that helps your clients achieve their financial goals? 100% yes, all the time. Not, not a question. There's no doubting the statement. Yes, we believe we should be providing a range of services that helps our clients achieve their financial goals. And so it's not the theory, it's the implementation of it. And the implementation of it means the client is properly served. So the low cost accounting firm's not doing that, they're just providing a, you know, a grunt service. But the the firm that has a deep seated concern, duty of care, wants to build a great relationship with their clients, they should be providing services that help the client achieve their financial goals. Now, they might not be providing those services direct. They may have an alliance and affiliate type deal with a, with a provider, but they sit at the center of the relationship because the accountants of this world are, are a force. You know, there's not an industry in the world that I know of where every business client has to have one. Yeah. Right? Think about it. Everyone individually as a personal income tax return, they're getting abolished around the world and you can do it yourself online, all that sort of stuff. So you don't need an accountant unless you're a high net worth individual. But as a business, you need an accounting firm to you know, sign off on your annual accounts. If you need an audit to sign off on the order, whatever. So every business in the Western world needs an accounting firm. What, a, what an awesome opportunity. Yeah, what a, what a great relationship building opportunity and a great money-making opportunity to help the client properly make a lot of money off it, but they just don't do it. So, we, you know, we were talking before and, and um, I've worked with uh, accounting firms for many years like you but in a different context and I always walk in and go, wow, you're leaving a lot of money on the table. There's a lot of, there's a lot of extra services you could be providing. So, so Rob, tell me why are accounting firms leaving tend to be leaving so much opportunity on the table? Why do they struggle to move from that low cost compliance type, I suppose, crutch? I don't know if it's that the right word through to this higher end advisory, if that's a is it um, type space? Yeah, I want to make sure we we define the advisory services as well because in my um, twenty eight years, my my tone and tune has changed a bit on what they should be providing. So I want to come back to that, right? So first of all, they believe in the idea, all clients should be served properly, buying what they need, help achieve goals, right? That's the belief. Uh, and, the, and, the, and the services needed uh, might be cash flow management, it might be wealth management, you know, proper tax minimization, you know, all the things that are there. So that they can do, it's not, not that they can't do it. They may not have a financial planning license, or a legal um, arm to their firm, some do, but they know people that they can refer that out to, right? So they still hold the relationship. The challenge is they're too busy <laughs> reacting mm. to so many clients, they can't get out of the way. The, the profession has succeeded very well, I might add, right? 
on um, partner compensation, on growth rates, uh, succeeded exceptionally well by just reacting to client situations, reacting to a pandemic, reacting to governments changing the rules. And, 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 and what happens is because the, the profession as a partner, partner earnings are so solid, you know, very um, easy to make three or 400,000 a year profit per partner, and they get comfortable with that. You know, and, and comfort uh, breeds apathy, right? I'm comfortable. Um, um, I've, I've got a kids are in private school. I'm not living a lavish lifestyle, but I've got a nice home. I've, I've been making good money for many years. I've got a nice couple of cars, kids in private school, nice home, nice lifestyle. I can take some time off. I'm not working my butt off. I can have a holiday. And, and comfort kicks in. But, but comfort kicks in. And this is, by the way, as a provider of um, services that help accounting firms thrive, um, you know, make lots of money and reduce, reduce their time. This is my number one competitor. My number one competitor is the partner's apathy for change. And, and, and this reactiveness, right? Phone calls, better deal with it. Email comes in, better deal with it. Government changes the rules, better deal with that. Pandemic hits, better deal with that. And a team member walks in, better deal with that. So they're reacting all day, every day. And they just, they've, they've set it up in such a way, inadvertently, that reaction, you know, builds comfort, builds apathy. We build a reasonable lifestyle, but it's not wealth creation. So the more ambition ambitious the partners are for for true wealth creation out of this vehicle as accounting firm the better they will do the better they'll get on the front foot be proactive you know uh, meet with clients understand where they're at understand their goals uh, and service them properly so it is it's a combination you mentioned um somewhere i can't remember whether it was in a book or a website rob that you know you had your your i think it was your 12 or 18 uh, values or that you aspire to. One of the one I like was, and I, I'm probably going to get it wrong here, Rob, but there's one line I liked, and that's say, I first have to be a, a diversion, essentially the type of business that my that I'm trying to get my clients to be. In other words, you have to be an example. In other words, yep. you can't be running a rubbish business and advising yep. people how to run a great business. Yeah, correct. correct. So, so, so again, going back to the. Um, I, I personally believe accountants, accounting firms should be and can be the primary business advisor, right? So mm-hmm. um, not, not always the business deliver, advisory deliverer, but they, because again, they can, every business is connected to an accountant, you have this strong relationship with the partners and the firm, then that becomes a, a, a responsibility, right? It's mm-hmm. a duty of care to provide the right services, but also if you are going to start advisory services, on how to run their business, be more efficient, make more money, whatever, uh, then make sure you're doing it better than them. Yeah. <laughs> because otherwise it's like the, the painter with the worst painted house. Uh, and, and, they can, and the client can see through it. So, and this is why we always start when we coach a firm, let's sort the firm out first before we roll out some fancy new services. You know, so you can improve all the, and then they can hang out on thing. say, well, this is what we've done and this is what worked for us. Maybe it could work for you. And it's this comfort actually, in a way, become a problem for clients. In other words, so I'm a, I'm a partner, I'm comfortable, I'm earning you know, a really good living in the context of the rest of the country, et cetera. But my client saying, well, why isn't, my, you know, why isn't Rob giving me help with my cash flow? Why isn't Rob helping me because I'm struggling yeah, the, with this? Does that make the client go, well, they're not helping? The, clients are the, the client misses out here, David. They're the one that misses out the... So here, here's a really good example. Right? We call it finding opportunities, and we have a 100% success rate of this strategy. 
So we get a small team of three or four accountants, uh, end of year set of accounts uh, that have just finalized, you know, a couple of months after, and we give them a process of how to find potential projects, opportunities the accounting firm could deliver to the clients called Find Opportunities. And it's a 15 minute brainstorming exercise. And it's a very specific process uh, of what they need to look for, but it's in the profit loss and the balance sheet. And so accountants get around and uh, one firm, one, one uh, accountant who knows the client explains to the two or three, this is where they're at, this is what they've got. The next part of the p- puzzle is the other two or three around the table, uh, ask questions. They say, well, what about this? What about this, what about that, right? We have a 100% success rate over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of client files of accountants finding opportunities, potential projects that would help the client. Yep. But they don't do it. And are they the simple ones, Rob? Are they simple things stuff, like, right? are they like cash flow management? And, 100%, you know? right? Oh, okay. Well, why is their uh, profit down a bit and their you know inventory or stock is up or their margins are down a bit, their gross margin, and the cash balance is down, and the receivables are up, and their payables are up, uh, that says they might have a cash flow problem, but the client doesn't know it, right? So, and then to an accountant, because again, go back to the, the thinking has gone out of the profession because of the technology and so busy, this little exercise, 15 minutes, and then go back to the client, brings the thinking back. And it's simple stuff. It could be a restructure. It could be an um, expense reduction plan, um, a cash flow process of, you know, um, uh, expenses and efficiency, inventory work in progress and, um, uh, and, and, and or accounts receivable. Okay, let's, let's look at those three and help the client with the cash flow management process. So a lot of people go, oh, I'm too busy. You know, like, you know, I, I, you know I, I've walked into hundreds of accounting firms and on the door. They'll have, you know, you know, normal stuff, tax compliance, audit, et cetera. And then I'll have business advisory and I'll ask, okay, can I talk about your business advisory? Oh, we haven't done that yet, right? <laughs> or, or we have a superannuation management um, uh, person in the building, et cetera. So, you know, like you said, everybody knows what they want to do. They know it's always on the, the website and it's always on the front door. So what, there must be some practical challenges to actually offering those services. Are they just too busy and don't want to carve out the time? Or, so we'd say how, how do they make that first step to move to where they actually want to go? Well, first, first step has to be um, a desire to want to. You know, and again, if you're at comfort level at court 350,000, you know, in the U.S., I just did a benchmarking survey and the median result was 420 grand profit per partner, median, right? Um, and on that, you live all right, right? Yeah. <laughs> They're quite frivolous. That's so first, there's an absolute desire that you want to change your personal circumstances, right, as a partner in a county firm. And I believe it starts with the partners, not with the clients. Um, it ends with the clients, but it starts with the personal desire of the partners. Um, do we want to ourselves run a better business that's more profitable, that gives us more lifestyle, more enjoyment, and helps us to create wealth, right? True generational wealth. Um, because at the end of the day, the asset itself is there. You may or may not be able to sell it, um, but there's a lot of cash flow availability by running a better firm. So one's desire, right? Desire. Yep, we all agree. We want to get to a million dollars profit per partner or whatever the number is, uh, well, then we need to change some things. Then it's practically coming up with strategies to um, change the dynamics and the way they work with their clients and the firm and, and the team members. And one of them is what we call a gap meeting GAP. 
And the GAP meeting stands for Goal Achievement Process. And so we hold them accountable to how many of these they do every month. It is effectively a sales meeting. It's a Mm -hmm. simple meeting. We we, we teach them how to do it by Zoom or or face-to-face. And it's a really enjoyable meeting because Mm -hmm. it's a meeting talking about the client's current situation, going deep into their current situation, off balance sheet, off P&L, so into other other aspects, mm-hmm. understanding where they're at, then saying, okay, well, let's talk about it, where you want to go. What, what, are the, what are the goals you've got? Because here at XYZ Partners, our objective is to help you achieve your financial goals. And, oh, oh I'd love to do this and retire by that and sell this and achieve this and buy this or whatever. Out comes a list of goals. Then, uh, so this gap meeting process, which is central to client communication, uh, one, of our, one of our sole partner firms, absolute rock star, this guy, did 420 of these last Whoa. year. As a sole owner with about 20 people, uh, because they don't have to be an hour, but they could be, he, he has one on every single meeting, at the end of every meeting, and he tells about 420. And so as a result of this, at the, at the, at the, um, at the outset, it is a beautiful meeting to talk about. I get as a client to talk about me the whole time, right? I get to talk. I love talking about me. Right? Every, every client loves talking about themselves, right? This is where we're at. This is where we want to achieve. But at the, at, at the secondary to that, so the client loves it. Secondary to that, there's an opportunity for the partners to you know sniff out potential projects that they can help them with, and so they may not make a sale out of that, but they might do later on. But they might say, look, based on where you are now and based on where you want to go, what we need to do is help you do this. Otherwise, you're not going to get there. And, and I actually learned this from an accountant doing it on me many years ago. There you go. Is there a fear sometimes that, look, we have, um, there's so many industries accounting firms deal with, you know, anything from manufacturing to retail. And in our case, they're dealing with farmers. Is the fact that they are not, technical experts in those fields sometimes it have put- to so this is this is the drawback right so this is the big big drawback as to why they hesitate to do it and it is because accountants have been taught to know the answers to everything and if they don't know the answer they won't pose the question mm. they, don't, they don't like posing questions where it's a big black abyss and they can't get out of it where instead if you think of because uh, because knowing the answer to everything is when you've got your consultant's hat on, right? So the consultant or the adv- primary advisor says, right, uh, I'm going to ask questions about this because I know if they've got that, I can help them do that, right? That's mm-hmm. the consultant. Instead, they have to play coach. They have to play coach role, which is not knowing the answers and but asking great questions where the client might come up with the answer themselves. Or they can go and think about it and research the answer. They don't have to mm-hmm. know the answer right away. And accountants have been very guilty of, of just blurting out the answer straight away on a situation and not getting paid for that. And so, and not only that, not even really adding value, but I've done my job, told the client what they're going to do. You know, hopefully they went and did it. So they have to switch from, I need to know the answer, which is consultant role, right? To, I'm going to ask great questions and let the, let the client find the answer or get them to think about it, or I can find it later on, which is coach role. And mm. that's the which they have to make here. Otherwise, they'll get the knickers in a knot, and they won't go down the rabbit path of rabbit hole of, of uh, an industry sector or, a, or a, um, a strategy base, a strategy idea, because potentially we don't know what the answer is.
And and that's the thing. So do they feel like that the client won't like it if they say, hey, um, Rob, um, that's really interesting. I, I'd love to find out for you, but I don't know, but I'll get back to you. Whereas the client, will be, that'll be great. But That'd they feel that, yeah. yeah. And I'll get back to you in writing with a proper implementation plan on, on, on strategy on how we're going to help you achieve your goals. And But just remember as well, you know, let's say a GP accounting firm who doesn't specialise just in agribusiness, right? They've got... 30, 40, 50, could be 100 different business types mm-hmm. in their portfolio. There are common denominators in every business. You know, you, you don't know how, you don't know, nor you need to know how they make the product, how they, you know, resource their people, how they train their people, the intricacies of the formula and the mix of the product, whatever it is, right? You don't need to know any of that. Uh, what you need to know is about business. You know, you know is, there, is there a way... And, and there's, there's methodology about standard business practices suitable to any business. Like we talked about cash flow before, right? Cash flow has got three chunks. It's got expenses uh, or efficiency. It's got inventory slash you know, work in progress or stock, whatever your method definition. And it's got accounts receivable. You know, so you've got three levels levers, you know, to drive uh, cash flow. And it's just standard business. And cash flow... Cash flow management is the number one reason businesses fail or struggle. Yeah, I think Dunn and Bradstreet says 90% of businesses fail because of cash flow, not because of profit. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's cash flow management. It's the, it's the ebbs and flows of cash flow. So, so as an example of a service that accountants can do on their ear and the technology can help them do it super efficiently, um, you know, another question I ask is, okay, what do you think the number one service is that your clients should buy that help them succeed? Every time it's cash flow management, forecasting, budgeting, cash flow, whatever you call it. Okay, cool. You all agree with that? What percentage of your clients have a live, working, and reliable budget and forecast? Mm-hmm. And the key is it's live, so it's active. Cloud accounting helps us do that. It's, um, it's reliable, so we can actually forecast on it. And we can see, you know... It's it's a it's a, the the number one tool that every business owner should have, and the accounting firm can provide that for them. But they don't. And it, and it also, I always thought it gives them an excuse to give them a call. You know, like you're talking about those gap meetings. You know, if you look at your client and they're you know they're over budget one month, you can ring them up and go, hey, you know, Rob, I've just noticed you're over budget on these accounts. Do you wanna if you wanna talk about it? You know, like it's well, an excuse to call, isn't it? Because you know the vast majority of businesses are on a cloud accounting system, at least here in Australia, not so much in the USA and Canada where I do a lot of work, you, you've got, you, the accounting firm has got access to that data. And so they've got access to real-time accounting, you know, uh, what I used to call the redundant data accountant dealing in old dead data versus the real-time accountant dealing in real-time data, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and if there's a bookkeeper involved, it's pretty real-time, right? So... So, and they can look at that zero or QBO or whatever, mild live, whatever it is, and go, wow, this, and actively look at it. Uh, profit's down a bit for the month. Uh, inventories or stock is up for, for the month. Payables are up for the month as well. Uh, I wonder how they're going cash flow wise. Quick, quick question, quick call. Hey, I was just looking at accounting software and just wondering how cash flow is. Well, how do you know? Well, I just noticed that the profit was down. The, you know, the stock was up and the creditors were up, just wondering how things are going. Mm. And even even if things are great, the client loves the call. It's simple yeah. stuff like that. 
And I think as a client, you know, as a business owner, Rob, you can attest to this, we're, we're not that much worried about the past. We tend to have all our heads in the future, don't we? And that's where um, we're not really care what we did last month. Well, and also as a business owner, they typically manage, um, manage the business by the bank account. You know, so, <laughs> and, and not thinking and forecasting and really, and you're, you're in the agribusness, right? So you've got yeah. some massive ebbs, of, ebbs and flows yeah, in cash huge. flow. Huge ebbs and flows, um, sometimes years, right? And uh, with a bit of luck at the moment as we record this, the aid drought has ended, at least on the East Coast, um, yeah. for the next few years. But um, it's, 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 it's the accountant um, desire to do that then practically by technology, by meeting with the client, by having a cadence of meetings, you know, you know, okay, we've got 200 business clients. How frequently do we contact them throughout the year, not associated with the work that we're doing for them? And, and let's make that three or four times a year, quick phone call, Zoom meeting or whatever, um, or text message, you know, just checking in, how's things going? You may not eventuate into a meeting, but the client, the client goes, oh, they're thinking about me. Yeah, so you talk about building enduring relationships, Rob. Is, is this mm-hmm. the sort of stuff you're talking about? Yeah, but how do you build a relationship, right? You build a relationship by communication. You build a relationship by breaking bed, by having a bread, by having a beer, taking out for lunch, coffee, breakfast, whatever, the, by meeting, right? You build relationships by talking and meeting. So here's, here's what happens. Client pays more, accountant meets with them more. Let's flip that around. Accountant meet more, client will pay more. <laughs> so, and because I know you, you've got a hundred grand client, you're talking to that client every week or thereabouts, right? Because you got the hotline. Yeah. What if you flipped it around? They're not, not every week, but if you had a, um, for every, and this is for every client that you want to keep, you know, because some clients we don't want to keep, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so this could be the 80 20 rule. 80% of the clients, we have a cadence of, of meetings, touch bases, you know, and not a newsletter, you know, no one reads, but it's a phone call or a text or a Zoom, a quarterly catch up. It doesn't have to be for too long it may, or a voicemail left. It doesn't have to uh, even connect. It's just, I listen to it. Hey, just thinking of you, just touching base. I uh, was just looking at the, the, the accounts last week. Uh, if everything's good, all good, but if you've got any concerns, give me a call. You, you, you build enduring relationships by meeting and talking. And it's just making an excuse to do that, isn't it? Yeah, an excuse. Touch base. You know, it doesn't have to be uh, every quarter's fine. Um, and having the technology to remind you, which could be done these days with good CRM technology. Um, you know, haven't spoken to Rob for a bit, better give him a call. So if you look at the rock stars, just to sort of finish off, Rob. So you look at a rock star firm. Tell me what they look like. So what's what's the... You just walk in and you can just tell straight away. What are they doing that, you know, the others aren't? Yeah, so we say, because uh, we, we're... You know, coaching accounting firms, and, and we have a criteria of who we coach and who we don't, right? And some of the ones that we don't, we say no to at the outset, is because they're too good now. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've got a, we've got a four hundred point, uh, sorry, four hundred score, forty point uh, strategy uh, roadmap. So answer out of forty strategies, where are you at on the scale out of ten? Uh, and very few are over three hundred out of four hundred. But if they are, we just say no, right? You're already doing some great stuff. So, so what those firms look like? First of all, uh, the time per partner on the tools is low. Uh, the, the, the partners, you know, I'm just thinking of one client I interviewed last week in, in the US 
They're a $7.3 million firm, two partner firm. They've got about 30 people, uh, profit of 50, 55%. One partner does literally 10 hours a year of client work. One does 240 hours a year of client work. The partners aren't on the tools. So, so they've built a business um, that that doesn't work without them, but it's not reliant on them turning up every day to do client delivery work. And that's a big, big thing where I look at some struggling firms and it's all about the partner. The client calls the partner all the time. You know, the team members come to the partner for the, for the words of wisdom and the training. The partner's doing the review. The partner's working a lot of hours. You know, there's no leverage there. So, so I look at them really rock stars and the, the partner client time is super low, which means they've got leverage. Um, the, the margins, um, I'll, I'll give you a number that I'll, I'll ask every partner to work out. It's a number I invented, uh, and this is the, the indicator of how well this firm works. And, and the, um, the number is called profit time index. And so everyone's heard of the theory of work on the business versus work in the business, spend more time working on. Michael Gerber um, popularized this phrase in 1986, would you believe, from the e-myth? Um, and, and the world has caught onto the idea, I get it, work on the business, not so much in the business, build a better business. And so uh, we get them to measure every month how much on time versus in time, you know, working on growing, developing the business, working in, doing the business does. And then we take that number in hours and divide that into profit for the month, profit time index. And it ranges from really low, you know, partner time. So let's say a two partner firm made, um, you know, 500,000 for the year, so 250 each. So 500,000 for the year, two partners, but the in time was 2,000 hours, mm -hmm. right? So 2,000 into 500,000 is therefore $250, super low, because low profitability, but high partner time. This is the, this number, profit time index, is the, the ultimate outcome number of everything you do to grow and develop your accounting firm. Um, where you see another firm, I've got a firm here in Brisbane, Australia, haven't coached them for about eight years, but we spent four years together, $30,000 as a sole practitioner. So $3 million revenue, 1.8 profit, so 60%, sole owner, one hour a week in a management meeting. So if you call it 50 hours for the year. 50 hours into uh, 18,000 is 36, uh, 1.8 million is 36,000. The rest of his days are spent growing, developing the business in a sales capacity, you know. So he, the business, he does no client work, leverage that out, and he's running an awesome business. Everyone wins. You build a great accounting firm, right? And then there's three levels to this. There's level one is practitioner practicing. Uh, so you're a practitioner practicing your craft. Level two, you've got a business. You've got a business that runs better than most, but level three is when you become an investor in your own business and it's not reliant on you at all, right? So uh, Ray, for example, he's an, he's an investor level. I can't help Ray, he knows what to do. Um, that business is rock solid, gives him tons of money, much money as he needs for lifestyle and plenty of time. That's brilliant, mate. So to finish off, Rob, so I always ask people at the end of the podcast, what do they do when they're not doing their core craft? So I'm a golf nut. Uh, so I decided uh, when I bought this property five years, five and a half years ago, I'd build a golf course uh, on the property. Uh, the golf course was opened three and a half years ago. Golf Digest magazine two years ago did a big article on it, six page article, and said this is the world's best backyard golf course, right? <laughs> so we're going for that. It's in print. 
So on golf course, uh, uh, 27 hole configuration, clubhouse. So what people who are seeing is inside the clubhouse and the back of the clubhouse is the wall of hats. And, the, I, and you know, it's a visual goal uh, to play the top 100 golf courses in Australia and the top 100 golf courses in the world. Uh, the Australian list, I'm 71 out of 100. The world list, I'm 33 out of 100. And the deal is, so when I play the course, I buy a hat and stick it on the wall when I've played the course. Um, now, the, the challenge here is every two years as the lists come out, about 10% churn out and churn in. And, and this is a formal thing. It's a globally recognized idea. Only 49 people on the particular registry that I follow, only 49 people in the world have done the World 100 because the deal is your last putt, your list must be current. So that means the last course you play, you've got the entire current list. Oh. So you end up playing about 150 to 200 of the world's best courses. Um, I've had a, well, I was going great till COVID hit, of course, no travel. I've picked up nine this year. I've got 22 booked up for next year already. Um, and so we're well over halfway next year. Uh, so yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, I walk past that every day. Uh, and all right, need to organize some more travel. So yeah, there, there you go. Visual goal setting. Oh, there you go, mate. So COVID would have been frustrating for you. Yeah, totally frustrating. <laughs> um, now, mate, um, people. So you know, I, after what I've learned today, there's going to be people that want to get hold of you if they don't already know you. You're a pretty well known guy in the in the field. So how do they hunt you down, Rob? Yeah, just go to robnixon.com, R-O-B-N-I-X-O-N.com. Uh, go to free stuff. Uh, there's a lot of free. Re- we can't help every firm, so we've got a lot of free resources on there. There's that um, forty point checklist um, strategy roadmap. There's a benchmark report on there. Um, there's a latest book on there. Um, we'll put webinar recordings up live as well. So start there. Uh, and if that tickles your fancy, you know, we've got, um, we only coach so many in Australia and so many in the US every year. Uh, hit the apply now button and we'll have a chat and see if it help you out. Good on you, Rob. But start with some free time. Oh, good yeah. on you, mate. Thank you very much for your time. I really enjoyed talking to you and I hope everyone really got a lot of value from our conversation. Thanks, mate. Thanks. As always, if you'd like to know more about AgriMaster Farm Business Management Software and Services, you can find us at www.agrimaster.com.au or find us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram. If you like this episode, please share it on social media or directly with a friend and let's make farm business great together.